Hello, everyone. Welcome to day one of our 22-day journey through Psalm 119. Remember that Psalm 119 is an acrostic poem. It's there as a memory device. Each section focuses on a Hebrew letter in the alphabet. And if you Google uh, the Hebrew alphabet, you will see 22 letters. Go ahead and do that. Uh, It will uh, really assist with your enrichment during this time. So go ahead and Google Hebrew alphabet, click images, and there you go. You should have 22 letters. You read Hebrew from right to left, so if you go to the top right, you will see the Hebrew letter Aleph. Kind of looks like an odd-looking X. So, so what does that mean? That means in Psalm 119, verses 1 through 8, in this first section of 22 sections, every verse in this first section begins with the letter Aleph. All verses will begin with the particular letter of the focus. For example, the Aleph section in Psalm 119 is verses 1 through 8. The Beit section, which is the second letter of the alphabet, is Psalm 119, 9 through 16. And then the Gimel section will begin in Psalm 119, verse 17, and then seven verses later it will be completed. So, uh, bottom line, it really is quite simple that in Psalm 119 there are 22 sections. Each of these sections focus on a Hebrew letter, and all verses within that section will begin with that particular Hebrew letter that is assigned. For example, uh, one way that might help if you if you go Psalm one night, if you Google Psalm one nineteen one through eight in Hebrew you will see in the way that it's, it's laid out that every verse, verses 1 through 8, begin with an Aleph. All right. The next thing we need to do is, in looking at Psalm 119, uh, most scholars believe that This was written during the Second Temple period, the post-exilic time. Now, we just need to camp here a moment because it's quite important. So what do we mean by the First and Second Temple in the pre-exilic and exilic and post-exilic? So let's take an exit ramp here and focus on what we mean by the first temple and the second temple. 
Do you remember who wanted to build the first temple? Well, if you said David, that is correct. However, in Scripture, David was told by God he could not build this temple because he was a person of war and there was too much blood on his hands. But David, before he died, uh, was a great fundraiser for the temple and contributed quite a bit. His heir was Solomon. King Solomon, and he was giving permission to build the temple. Solomon's name means peaceful one or peaceful. So Solomon built the first temple. So we're in the first temple period, pre-exilic, and Solomon built the temple in 960 B.C., And if you remember your basic biblical history, let's run through this quickly because it's important. Solomon reigned from 970 B.C. to 931 B.C. And after his reign, the kingdom split between the north and the south, the the northern kingdom and The southern kingdom, the northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was Judah. Two things to keep in mind when you hear the northern kingdom is Samaria, Galilee, or in the New Testament period, of course, this is where Jesus grew up and did most of his ministry in the northern kingdom around Galilee. So what do we have to reiterate? Northern kingdom is Israel. The southern kingdom is Judah. Now, when we say Judah, that is where Solomon's temple was located in the city of Jerusalem. Now, this divided kingdom lasts from 931 B.C. to 722 B.C. Now, stay with me. The next chapter is extremely important. What happened in 722 B.C.? Well, the Assyrians conquer the northern kingdom of Israel, and they send the exiled Israelites to Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia means land between two rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates, almost a four-month walk. Now, here's the important part. As these exiled Israelites settled into Mesopotamia, the Assyrians resettled foreign population into the northern kingdom. And this right there, beginning in 722 B.C., was the root of the tensions almost borderlining on hate between the north and the south. The southern kingdom looked upon those in the north as foreigners, and this went on and on 
for generations, which Jesus addressed through various uh, parables of the Good Samaritan and the Samaritan woman at the well. In fact, the tensions were so bad in the north, they decided to go ahead and build um, their own temple in Shechem. So what do we have in 722 B.C.? We have Judah, just the southern kingdom, but the temple is still there and it stands. We are still in the pre-exilic period. In 587 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar led the Babylonians to conquer Judah, the southern kingdom. And it was a time of terrible heartbreak. The people in Judah, most of them were exiled to Babylon. And the Babylonians did not repopulate the area, which means that infrastructure and buildings just went down really fast. The temple was demolished. The walls were crumbled. Uh, You see these uh, paintings and images of exiles walking up the Mount of Olives. And up on the Mountain of Olives, you, can, you have a panoramic view of Jerusalem, and you can imagine these exiles turning around and looking at a home they would never see again. So what do we have in 587 B.C.? It is catastrophic. The northern kingdom is gone. There's no Jewish rule over the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom is gone, and the temple is in ruins. One of the miracles of history began not soon after Babylon conquered in 587 B.C. where King Nebuchadnezzar's sons took over for his rule and they were terrible leaders to the extent that a Persian leader by the name of Cyrus in 538 B.C. conquered the Babylonians. Cyrus The king of Persia not only conquers the Babylonians in 538 B.C., but through the Cyrus decree, he allows the Jews to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. Isaiah comments on King Cyrus in Isaiah 44, 28. It says, I am the Lord who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose, serving of Jerusalem. She shall be built, and of the temple, that foundation shall be laid. And so with this miracle of Cyrus's 
decree, there was a group led by Zerubbabel who came back and began rebuilding the temple, and this temple was dedicated in 515 B.C. The thing you need to, to remember is that Zerubbabel came and helped build, facilitated the building of the second temple. Nehemiah's purpose, who would come uh, several years later, was to rebuild the walls and the infrastructure. So what we have in the second temple, we have the what is called the post-exilic period, beginning after Cyrus's decree in 538. It's interesting when this second temple is built, or at the dedication, Ezra records the moment in that there was a mixture of trumpets and cries of joy and then wailing and tearing of clothes and bitter tears. And you couldn't tell where one ended and another voice began. It all blended together. Those that had never seen the temple were overjoyed. The older Levites who remembered what that temple looked like, the gold of King Solomon wept because this new temple just did not live up to the first one. But we have the second temple built in 515 B.C. On this spot, the second temple remained at this spot from 515 B.C. to 70 A.D., almost a period of, of, of 600 years. So what happened? Well, a couple things. One, the, the, the temple of the New Testament, the temple that, that uh, Jesus knew, was the remodeled second temple, which was built by uh, King Herod. Work on that temple began in 20 B.C., and it took almost 80 years to build. They finished it up in 63 A.D., just seven years later. In 70 A.D., Jerusalem was utterly, utterly destroyed, along with the temple by the Roman army. This is why in present day, the, the Western Wall is so revered because that was all that was left of the Jerusalem Temple. And when you look at the Dome of the Rock, that is where the first and second temple uh, resided there on Mount Moriah. So you got it? So the first temple, 960 B.C., King Solomon, the second temple, 515 B.C., by Zerubbabel. And this remained until 70 
AD. All right, let's turn our attention to the Aleph section for our consideration today. Psalm 119. Happy whose way is blameless, who walk in the Lord's teaching. Happy who keep his precepts with a whole heart they seek him. Yes, yes, they did no wrong in his ways they have walked. You ordained your decrees to be strictly observed. Would that my ways be firm to observe your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed when I look upon all your commands, I shall acclaim you with an honest heart as I learn your righteous laws, your statutes I shall observe. Do not utterly forsake me. I want to draw your attention to verse 1. Happy whose way. Way means the right ordering of life. Psalm 119 really echoes the the teaching and purpose of the wisdom literature. If you remember Psalm Psalm 119 is really echoing the introduction in Psalm 1. Let Let me read the first part of Psalm 1 here. It says, Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither, and all that they do they prosper. The wicked are not so but are like chaff that blows in the wind and drives away. Let's stay there for a second. If you remember the location of the Temple Mount is traditionally believed on the plot of land that was at the top of a high hill that was a threshing floor that David bought from Ornan, who was a Jebusite. And the purpose of a threshing floor is to separate the grain from the chaff, what can be eaten and what cannot be eaten. And here the psalmist says in verse 4, the wicked are not so if they do not follow the law, but are like chaff, that the wind drives away, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So Psalm 19, verse 1, this Aleph section builds the foundation of pointing people in a directionally accurate manner of having really deep love and following the laws and the precepts of God with their whole heart. Finally, this is what we we need to remember about Psalm 
119. What the psalmist is attempting to do by using these 22 letters of the alphabet is that he's communicating as much as he can about God's law and purpose and guiding us in a way to love his law and apply his teachings from A to Z, from beginning to end. The psalmist is attempting to say everything there is in this one chapter from the first word, Aleph, to the last word, the 22nd section, the Tav. So I hope that's helpful for you. And remember, our goal is for each day for the next 22 days is that we will read these sections together, have some quick comment and application. And I hope this will assist your spiritual formation and journey. So Monday will be the Bait section, if you would read Psalm 119, 9 through 16. We'll see you tomorrow.